3: Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never
2: Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. If you've got kids, you're always thinking of college. And when you think of college, you think of the SAT. Now, while some people will tell you it's not as important as it used to be, That isn't true, particularly if you're looking for scholarships and so forth. And anyway, it's always been a problem. I remember taking them myself and you know, kind of some of the issues you deal with. Well, we've got somebody on that's an expert on this, and she has written a new book, highly acclaimed. It's called History According to SAT, a content guide to SAT reading and writing. Her name is Dr. Elizabeth Bro, a seasoned SAT prep instructor. Now, Doc, first of all, uh, welcome to the show. We're We're glad to have you on here. So it's not just a matter of you learned what you learned in high school and then you try to put those skills in place. You're teaching another way that's better than just going through practice tests and so forth.
4: Yes, I am. And um, basically, even though the test says that it's only testing your reading and writing skills, writing always has to be about something. And what I realized after teaching um, kids and, um SAT for a number of years and seeing the mistakes they made, a lot of times they made mistakes that an adult who was in the writer's original intended um, audience, there was sort of a level of background knowledge that they would have of the context of their times. But when kids come to those documents today with an education that's based on skills, Instead of knowing things, content, um, the lack of context leads them to seriously misunderstand what they're reading and make a lot of really avoidable mistakes that you wouldn't get wrong if you knew your history a little. You know, and this
2: is so true, and if anybody can think about it, you hear like quotes from the Bible, let's say, and if you don't know it mm. in context, it can be, a, it's a whole other thing, so people will say like, what, the only uh-huh. way to really know it? Well, you're you are right, I mean, this comes across, how are people supposed to know things if, if you're talking about a topic that you're not familiar with?
4: Yeah, if they've never learned it, and it's written in 18th century English, like our country-sounding documents are. You're kinda, it's kind of like wading through a swamp for, hey. for these kids because they haven't got the vocabulary. They haven't, they're not comfortable with the long, windy sentence structure. And they also have no idea what these people could possibly be talking about. But I figured if you have a basic idea what these things are saying, you can muddle your way through a whole lot better.
2: You remember the old show, Good Times, which showed up family struggling in the inner city, and there was a whole thing about this test, and the kid who was brilliant apparently couldn't do well, and as they went on, right, they showed that, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. Your book actually will help anybody. I mean, it's going to help regardless of what your background is because it's going to take care of some of this
4: stuff. I hope so. I mean, I really tried to write something that was easy to read. I was very proud of the fact that it came in under 300 pages. Uh, with pictures and big prints, um, and so you know, I, I really focused a lot on, you know, sort of the the glue between events, if you will, because okay, this is an example that actually happened to me. I was teaching um, a sixth grader, um, and I we were supposed to be working on poetry. And so I wanted him to read um, The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, because when I was his age, I tried to memorize it. And I could still get through like most of the first verse, I think. Right. <laughs> but he had never heard of Paul Revere. He Not had never dear. heard of the American Revolution. And so my question to him was, have you always attended school in the United States? And my, his answer was yes.
2: So, there so you go. I'll
4: just let that sink in. Yeah, because we just had the national report card about how what only thirty-two or something percent of eighth graders can name one of the three fun- um, functions of the United States government. You know, one of the three branches. I think I read. So I mean, that's that 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 that's just you know it, it's you know it, it gives someone like me the heebie-jeebies because yeah. knowledge is what it's about. Our democracy. Was founded on the idea that we need to have an educated citizenry, and Thomas Jefferson often gets um, attributed that quote. But apparently, he might not have really said it, so I didn't use it. But um, there's a 1765 passage that I've seen on um, an SAT practice test. It was written by John Adams, and it, who's you know obviously one of the founders and all that. And it's all about how it's really important, if we're going to have a country governed by the people, that the people have access to education. And it says that it is more important for the poorest among us to have access to education, because we need to empower them so that they can participate in our government. 1765.
2: Wow. Yeah. And boy, was that right? And you can see the problems. This is something I know actor Richard Dreyfuss is all involved with because he says, how do you expect people to participate in this democracy? Because if you don't know the basics of civics, how, how can you do this? And that's why right. your book is so important. You, this book is great for somebody, even if you're not taking the SAT. I think a lot of us don't know the history we should. And you know, the beauty of your book is it doesn't get all caught up into dates and that kind of thing. You're really learning about history. Talk a little about the way you wrote it, because it isn't just a bunch of names and dates. It's more than oh, that. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah,
4: I mean, it's not like a history textbook. I, I hate the way kids learn history these days because they learn it's all like little factoids floating around on a big screen and there's no connective tissue so what I did is I tried to write it like, you, like I write a story. I'm a word person. I have a doctorate in English literature. Sure. Stories are my profession so I tried to write this like a narrative like a story about what happened and what consequences it caused and what people argued about and what this side said and what the other side said And whether or not it ever got resolved and, you know, just working through it. You know, what happened? And I, I, you know, cross-checked, fact-checked a zillion different websites for everything.
2: One thing that really comes through is there's not a bias in there, which is so refreshing these days. People are always looking for an edge. And i looked through it and I thought, nope, this is something that really is something that doesn't come from a point of view.
4: Look, I grew up. Uh, My background is hippy-dippy liberal, I'll be straight out, Um, but I learned to teach at Vanderbilt University, which is not a hippy-dippy place, and it wasn't in the 90s either. Um, And um, what I learned, you know, the first or second time that I taught subjects like women's studies and feminist theory is that I don't have to convince anybody that I'm right. I just need to give them the facts, And if I'm so right, they'll figure it out on their own. And if not, well, then we'll both learn something. I gave an A. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had conservative students, you know, Vanderbilt's the, you know, what do they call it, the buckle of the Bible belt. And I'm this, you know, liberal Jew from New Jersey. And I, you know, I learned how to work with these kids. And I, you know, had some, you know, really cool experiences as a result. And you know, but when you put facts in front of people, I, it makes such a huge difference. I could give you so many examples.
2: But that's why the book works, because I think if yeah, you were doing it from so. a point of view, you would miss the point. And the idea, really, uh, when you all come, when it comes down to it, is how do I get through the SAT? And I didn't right. realize 40% of the SAT comes from historical uh, reading passages. I, I had no idea.
4: Yeah, because, like, okay, so you get all the, you know, founding documents. Then they take, you know, any speech for winning a Nobel Prize, like a Peace Prize or a Literature Prize, those are fair games. Any Nobel speech and anything. U.N. speeches, Eleanor Roosevelt, um, Winston Churchill are big names there. Um, I went on, you know, so all those kinds of speeches and stuff. Any speech any president ever gave, really, um, unless it's really, you know, heinous or weird in some way. Right. But, you know, any serious speech— um, but there are some presidents who get more attention than others, like JFK. Um, you know, you're going to see more JFK than you're going to see, you know, Hoover or Calvin Coolidge, um, you know, stuff like that. But but there's also like this, this, the, the narrative arc is all about democracy So and where it came from. So even on the writing test, you get, you know, little bios of people who were the first, you know, of this or that for their group. And, you know, the historical struggles of a group that worked to get um, recognized or different artistic movements that were political, like the Chicano, Chicana arts movement of the 70s. There's -hmm. stuff on SAT writing about that. And and one of my favorites is um, this, this one about the composer Shostakovich and how he struggled with Soviet censorship of his music um, in uh, the Soviet Union of Joseph Stalin in the 1950s. And the very first question is something about, you know, what's the purpose of the article? And kids don't know from Shostakovich. They don't know about the Cold War. They don't know about Soviet censorship. And they all get the first question wrong, and they say it's going to be about something completely different.
2: Sure, it makes sense.
4: You know, I know about Shostakovich because I have a smattering of musical education. I mean, I'm not well-educated or anything on this stuff. You what? know, my, my, my bar was, I had a couple tests that I did. Has it been, Have I seen it on the SAT anywhere ever? And um, what do you need to know to sort of get yourself through? So I really tried to avoid going in the weeds.
2: More with Dr. Elizabeth Bro author of History According to SAT, a content guide to SAT reading and writing in just a moment. This is Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm John
3: Katsalamidis of the Las Vegas Review Journal on page 3A every day and online all the time. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's
2: 800-870-3609. Have your collectibles taken over your house? Well, maybe it's time for those treasures to find a new home. place to go is Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads, where they are always buying. If you've collected it, there's a good chance they'll buy it. No collections are too large or too small. Call Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads at 310-534-4180 or text them pictures of your collection. That number again is 310-534-4180.
3: Restrictions apply. Call for details. You're listening to
2: Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with Dr. Elizabeth Bro, author of History According to SAT, a content guide to SAT reading and writing. This is Vegas Never Sleeps. Well, you know, and when I received your book, I kind of looked at it at my first glance, I was going to say, well, I don't want to talk about this. I mean, everybody knows <laughs> those books. You know, everybody knows the whole thing, like how to go through to, to, the different ways to watch your time and, you know, don't answer questions. You know, just go through and answer the questions, you know, first and all that stuff. But yours was completely different, which was really cool. It got away from that whole idea of uh, test skills. You can learn that stuff in 15 minutes, really, if you just do some basic research. The stuff you're saying is going to really help you.
4: Well, also, if you know it, you don't need any skills. Right. You just don't. (laughs) If If I start to read a brand new passage, and it has an intro blurb that tells me it took place during the reign of terror, and there is such a passage, I know exactly what they're talking about. I have 10th and 11th grade students who go, and I say, Have you heard of the French Revolution? And they go, um, I think so. So you sigh. So then you explain it, and then they get it.
2: Your book brings up a point. When you think about it, you go through it, and you think about it. And of course, if you're using it to get through the SAT, it's going to help you tremendously. But it also says something about our education system, and you kind of hinted at that. There's a a bit of a problem. They expect you to kind of know that, but they don't teach it. I mean, this kind of talks to some of the basic problems in education.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think so. I'm I'm planning to do a second edition that takes out the test and just does sort of like what I, I thought I'd gear it to, the educational standards that we have for high school seniors. But just take the test out, but make it you know, something that's going to be accessible to, you know, the average high school graduate.
2: It's a great idea. And it kind of, I, that's another thing, as I went through this, even if you're not going to go to college and you're, you know, but you want to have a quality high school education, which uh, for a number of years, this type of uh, history was taught. I think it's a great thing to come out with you with that uh, diploma that really means something. It's going to help you in your entire life.
4: I think so. I think it's important to know about things because so, if you don't know what's happened already, you don't understand the conversation that we have today. A really good example is the HIV-AIDS epidemic You know, in the 80s when it was all first happening and it was horrible and you know, lots of people were dying and all this kind of stuff. And today, kids don't know that that happened. And to you and me, I, well, at least me, I don't know how old you are, um, that's lived history. I remember when it was going on, you know, although I wasn't part of it in any way. I knew about it. And so I get, a, there's a speech that was given at the 1992 Republican Convention by a woman named Mary Fisher, who was um, from a longtime Republican political family, close friend of the Bushes, um, and she was HIV positive. And she gave a speech at um, the first George Bush's re-election, um, for the RNC, so it was on national TV, and the goal of the speech was to portray him as a compassionate conservative. And I remember that buzzword in that campaign. But she's referencing, um, you know, talking about. about she references Pastor Niemoller, who talked about the Holocaust and said, you know, you know, first they came for the communists, and I wasn't a communist, so I didn't do anything, and then they came for the, you know, Jews, and they. I didn't do anything, and then they came. For, you know, and yeah. then it's down to me, and there's no one left. And she's using that model for for um, HIV. Age, and she's saying that, you know, if you think this doesn't affect you, you're wrong. Here I am, a straight white married woman, and I'm HIV positive, and I have a, um, a an African American baby who is also HIV positive. So you're like, okay. Yeah. So she's saying, you know, we got to get together on this. But kids who don't know the history of AIDS and the struggle that went on for, you know, treatment to be researched, become available and all that stuff, they don't get it. It right. goes right over their heads, and it's not that long ago. Talk to us
2: about the teaching of history. I mean, what kind of things do you think we need? I mean, one of the things, like you say, is, is to have those I think your book provides really kind of basic standards that we really should all be at
4: well, I think there should be four years of American history, and I, I don't want to diss anyone in my profession, of course, but I've witnessed a lot of history classes where all the kids do is copy from textbooks, or they do projects on this or that, but it, there's no connection, and when I question kids about what they're learning, they've rarely had anything comprehensive from, like, colonial up to the present, or even colonial through World War II. They just don't get it all. And so it's, they learn a lot of, like, Native American history, colonial history in middle school and elementary school. But what you learn in third grade isn't enough to get you through to high school. The kids don't remember. And then we have all the kids here who are first-generation Americans, and maybe they, you know, their parents didn't study this stuff. They don't know it. And so they don't pick it up in the atmosphere. You know, they just don't know it. And then, you know, you have other kids who are studying from overseas who have never studied American history in their schools or their countries, because why would they? (laughs) You know, I work with a lot of Chinese kids who are trying to come here. Why would they know American history?
2: What I noticed when I looked at my daughter's uh, when she she was in high school, and I go through the textbook, and there was nothing wrong in the textbook except... There was like only one page about World War Two, and I'm thinking, wow, World War Two was a big deal, <laughs> and how it came about and so forth. And you know the old saying about if you don't know history, you're gonna you're doomed to repeat it. And there is a little truth to that. I think it's so important. I know visiting the Holocaust Museum. I, I always give money to that because I think it's just so important. It should be so easy oh, for yeah. people to just forget about it. And you can't. You can't forget about that. that you know, I mean, that's, that should be essential. Everybody needs to know
4: that. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm really, you know, my passion is that people should know things. You know, I try and teach kids um, to write essays, and I try and get them to have opinions. And they don't want to do that. And they don't have any ideas, or if they have an opinion, they don't know any facts to back it up. So it's very difficult to teach in this sort of content-free zone.
2: I think what the book does more than anything else is to teach you reading comprehension is so tied in with context, and you've got to have that context, right? And that's why it really is sort of an unfair test in that regard, because you do need to have the context in order to apply the skills that you learn and so forth.
4: Well, sure, if we had a national history curriculum that everybody studied, it would be fine. But there's no agreement on what anybody should know. It's like, no, we have to have some kind of agreement on a master narrative. And, you know, that, yeah, there are these basic events. I think we also need to understand that every generation, you know, we learn more. So that sometimes causes us to rethink our earlier understandings and retellings of history. That's why you don't go read history books that are 50 years old. They're out of date. So I think it's very important for us to have some sort of national, you know, agreement about this is our history, this is our trajectory, and we might not always be thrilled with it, but this is what we got and this is what we need to know about.
2: So how do you keep politics out of it? Because obviously, you know, we can get... Ten people, five feel one way, five feel another, their side's being left out, their side's being emphasized, what have you. How do you get to that? Because I agree with you, and I think you can have those discussions. In fact, I think those discussions are real positive, but first you've got to have some sort of a baseline.
4: Right, and I think we're really stumbling over that right now. I, I'm not sure that I have really smart answers. Um, I try to put in, um, think about it from a kid's perspective You know, on some of our sort of culture war issues. You know, um, just as a teacher and someone who cares about kids, I sort of feel like if a kid sees the world this way, you know, I might not agree with it, but I have to at least honor it because so many kids are struggling with deep-seated identity issues and needing to be recognized.
2: Well, this book is great. You're going to love it, especially if you've got somebody that's going to take the SAT or you're going to take the SAT. You want to get it. It's called History According to SAT, a content guide to SAT reading and writing. Don't let the title fool you. It's really fun and entertaining. It's, our guest is the author, Dr. Elizabeth Brode. Doc, how do we get the book?
4: You can order it on Amazon, or you can get it through my website, which is historyaccordingtosat.com. And um, my email is elizabeth.bro at gmail.com.
2: And you spell bro, B-R-E-A-U. B- so it's not B-R-O, it's B-R-E-A-U. Doc, thanks so much. We enjoyed having you
4: Thank you for having me. Take care.
2: Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Nash. Reminding you, Vegas never sleeps.
4: Oh, Vegas, here we go. Let's get away. Let's
0: get away. And now
3: Another film rental discovery.
0: Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. While many movies have lasting cultural impact, it's rare to see one that transcends the screen and directly affects someone's life. Errol Morris's fiercely entertaining 1988 documentary, The Thin Blue Line, is one of those special films. This award-winning true crime drama explores the story of Randall Dale Adams, who in 1976 allegedly had murdered Dallas police officer Robert Wood. Eleven years later, the film's thorough examination of the facts, consisting both of extensive interviews with witnesses, and dramatic recreations of the crime itself, reveals that Adams' murder charge is potentially invalid. One year after the film's release, Adams' conviction was overturned by the Texas State Appeals Court. Many credit this accomplished documentary with freeing an innocent man. Errol Morris is a careful director and an editing virtuoso, knowing just the right moments to linger on a shot or string together a series of interviews. While the thin blue line may not have the same freeing effect on your life as it did for Adams, it's certainly gripping and, at times, mesmerizing. Get ready. This is a fine documentary that depicts a fascinating high-stakes puzzle. Oh, and it just happens to have saved a man's life. The Thin Blue Line, not in theaters. Discovery through rental.
3: Do you have Medicare and do you use a CPAP machine? This is a national healthcare alert regarding your CPAP supplies. Using a clean CPAP mask and clean supplies is important to staying healthy we provide free in-home delivery. So if you're a CPAP user and you have Medicare, staying healthy with new CPAP equipment is easy. Just make this free phone call right now to get started. Sponsored by Specialty Medical. 800-896-7012. 800-896-7012. 896 7012 That's 800-896-7012.